I'm Ann Labar. And I'm Lisa Lancer Rose. And this is This Animal Life. Today, we delve into animal dreams from insects to octopuses and beyond. I want to talk about do animals dream? And after doing research, the answer is yes. So how you doing, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, we're done here. We're done. We'll see you later. I found the Next same week. thing. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Actually, no, I have a lot of stuff. One of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this was it was an article I read in New Scientist. And what really pulled me in was the title. Okay. And, and the title, which is brilliant, is Do Fruit Flies Dream of Electric Bananas? I love it. I know. So I wanted to talk about that because as a poet, I saw fruit flies dream. Yes. What do they dream about? <laughs> so before we get talking about what they dream about, I'm going to talk about this article because it brings up a couple of topics that kind of overshadow everything we talk about and why we started talking about this okay. and about consciousness and treating animals as intelligent beings. So there's a lab, Ralph Greenspan wanted to, I guess everybody was talking about, they were doing EEGs on all these animals, cats, dogs, whatever. And he and his colleagues were at lunch one day and they said, Ooh, nobody's ever recorded the EEGs of an insect. Oh, fruit flies are perfect for anybody who doesn't know for research because you can, you can run genetically, you can run through like, I'm going to just make up a number like a thousand generations in a week, you know, so you can watch <laughs> evolution happen if you're like messing with genes. Fast forward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it works really well. So Ralph Greenspan's research partner or colleague, Douglas Nitz, went to the lab after this and put an electrode on a fruit fly's brain, which is the size of a poppy seed. So the electrode was probably bigger? I have no idea. They had some pictures. I didn't look at them. And so they started messing around with it and they recorded brain waves. Insects are generally considered basically little more than hardwired automatons, dim-witted, which we're starting to, I mean, if we got into bees, that's a whole other thing. But a fruit fly's brain contains 250,000 neurons. We have 100 billion. Yeah. And even the honeybee, which is the brainiest of insects, at, we think, has only a million neurons. Again, we have 100 billion. So on the surface of all that, a fruit fly's brain doesn't even compare to the complexity of a mammal's brain. Or birds. Or birds. Which I'm going to talk about. Yes. Quite a while now, they've been doing a lot of studies with insects. And the studies show that fruit flies, because they have them handy in the lab, <laughs> yeah. and they're cheap probably, react very much like mammals do. Oh, no. In in the way that if you immerse them in, say, peach smells and shock their foot, they stay away from peaches. Okay. All right. Through studies, they've, they've 
shown that they have short, medium, and long-term memory. Wow. Okay. Even honeybees can learn the difference between same and different. No, those are categories. Yes. Abstract categories. Right. And apply them to novel situations. No. So they generalize an abstraction. Yes. And I didn't want to go into detail. Just to give you an example that they're a hell of a lot smarter than we think they are. What I really wanted to talk about was dreams. And to dream in the scientific definition of dream, you have to sleep. Mm -hmm. So sleep was thought to be only in vertebrates. But in 1999, this guy, Ralph Greenspan and his team found that fruit flies sleep every night. So they wanted to see if they could measure the EEG waves and kind of track things. And voila, after the guy put the electrode on the little puppy seed brain, (laughs) they first, they were the ones that first recorded an EEG of an insect. Its brain quiets down. It produces fewer spikes while it's sleeping, like a mammal brainstem during non-REM sleep. So the brain waves for non-REM sleep look very similar from a fruit fly to a mammal. Okay. And we dream during non-REM as well as REM. Oh, see, I don't know that. I'm thinking just REM. I read that today somewhere. Excellent. That's good to know, because even though they suck you in with fruit fly dreams, they don't really talk about the dreams. Well, they can't interview them. Yeah, exactly. They can't wake up and go, were you dreaming? What were you dreaming about? What's going on? And I was thinking about that. I'm like, how would they have REM sleep? Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you, I don't know. Oh, the rapid eye part. Yeah, yeah, rapid Um, eye movement. They set them up. They somehow suspend this guy on a wire the little fruit fly and they have a green bar which they somehow train it to associate with either something positive or negative okay and this green bar moves around and it'll see the green bar and kind of like try to maneuver itself to look at it and they move it what they were looking for was unmistakable signs that they of what they call salience which is just means attention So when we pay attention, other things drop away. Yes. Right? So that's Mm -hmm. what they were looking for. And the thing about salience is, according to this research team, it is the root of consciousness. So what they wanted to do was find that out. And they basically did. And they were measuring the hertz, between 20 and 30 hertz, basically what ours are. Somewhere it said 40 hertz, between 30 and 40, and we are at 40 hertz, we are paying attention, and other things drop away. Other senses drop away, everything. So when it's out of view, their brain activity lessens. Suggests they're thinking about it. Yes. And they're also making a judgment of what can safely be ignored. Okay. So suppression is also important to attention. They're focusing. Yeah. So the patterns of the brain waves where they say they're paying, the fruit flies are paying attention are just like, are exactly like our brain waves. The reason that they're doing this is they want to find the root of consciousness. 
They want to find that path, that learning, that attention that will explain our consciousness. Okay. So they don't give a crap about the animals. It's just a way, like they'll acknowledge that insects are intelligent and somewhat similar to us and have brain activity like us mm -hmm. because it gives them a doorway into how we are unique. Or that's what they're hoping. Yeah. And they say that attention builds consciousness. It's it's something, it's memory. It's memory related. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. I can see okay. that. Yeah. So it learned. They're focused on finding the root and the route of consciousness. So they're looking for it in them and so they can find it in us. And that can mean a lot of things. It, you know, philosophically, it's a big question. Mm-hmm. But it can also be applied in other things that they do for us with Alzheimer's and this sort of thing, because attention deals with memory, which takes me to sleep, sleep. Yes. And MIT. Ah, I think you read the same study I did. <laughs> animals have complex dreams. No, I read a different MIT study. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> animals have complex dreams. And this is an old study. So old. It's 2001, which I think is contemporary enough. The overall sort of the thesis of this article was that animals do have complex dreams and they're able to retain, call long sequences of events while they are asleep. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that they proved that, and this first appeared in an issue of a journal, uh, MIT published it in a journal Neuron. And, you know, if you've got a pet, you know, they dream. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Your dog is going, woof, yeah. Woof. Oh, ah, and the legs are moving. <laughs> yeah. And the eyes are twitching and yeah. yeah. So of course this goes back to EEGs and they look at the firing patterns when an animal is in REM sleep, the firing patterns of individual cells, a collection of individual cells to determine what the dream's about. And they did this on rats. And what they would do is at least my understanding of it, is record the brain waves of a rat going through a maze. Yes. And then when they sleep, mm -hmm. because they're trying to they're trying to identify the content of the yes. animal streams. Right. So when they go through the maze, I read this. They're yes. obviously going through the maze, right? In their dreams. Yes, because those that had REM, am I stealing your thunder? No, no, not at all. Those rats that experienced more REM were better at the maze. Yes. And that's it. It reinforces it's it's just as good as practice. Yes. As awake practice. Yes. It's just as good as awake practice. Yeah. There was a thing I read a while ago about visualization in athletes that you visualize yourself going through. I the thought of that too. And that you're better. But it's really funny because that you do get better by doing the visualizations. Yes. But I'm like, okay, does that also get you in shape? Because then you could just sit and think about <laughs> running. Anyway, I but we would it hope. It makes you more likely to get up and do it because you're in that, you're already in that mindset. Right. But can I get a runner's high without having <laughs> No. Can you, can you generate endorphins? That's actually okay, because uh, uh, yeah. all kinds of hormones get yeah. firing, too. Yeah. So maybe you can get an endorphin high <laughs> <laughs> from a running dream. I hope so. Uh, or a fear dream yeah. you know, yeah. you're, in which you're running. It makes me think of Donnie Darko. Oh, 
Okay. You've seen Donnie Darko? I have seen Donnie Darko. You know how he discovers that there's this silvery thing that comes out of your belly yeah. and, it, and it pulls you forward. It's like fate. Uh, yes. I can't, I can't, I, it's been a while it's since a I saw movie. it. <laughs> to deconstruct. <laughs> yes, because it's also a time travel. Yeah. Or dream. Or not. Uh, yeah. 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 But it's like the silvery worm in your gut knows what you're going to do before you do it. Right. And it pulls you forward. So I think about that in this kind of context right. too, where we're talking about this, but also when I want to make myself do something that I don't want to do, uh -huh. I have found that if I think myself forward, I'm more likely to do it. Like if I go to bed the night before thinking I'm going to spin because uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's my runner's high is right. I get it on the spin bike. So, but, but that transition from hanging out in my pajamas all day right. <laughs> you know, in, the, in the post pandemic world, <laughs> uh, still pandemic world, it's really hard to put those clothes on and get in the sweaty exertion mindset because it's also boring i'm sitting there on the bike and oh, yeah. yeah i'm listening to music or whatever but you know it's not as interesting as whatever the heck else i was doing yeah like, exactly like reading about <laughs> bird dreams so yes. yeah i would rather do that and check facebook but if i think the night before i'm gonna spin tomorrow i'm gonna spin tomorrow and i picture myself spinning it like I don't mean like outside myself. I imagine oh, myself no, no, no. on the bike yeah. and, and right. how it feels to be pedaling and sweating and standing on the, yeah. holding the handlebars. And yeah, and and that that high that I get, I start to get excited about it. And I'm much more likely to actually spin the next day. Yes. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. But then if you've worked on a new movement or a new choreography, say in spin, you know, if you sleep on <gasps> it and you dream about it, it would reinforce the memory of it because you can't move while you're dreaming, or at least unless you have the disorder where you do move. Yes. The parts of the brain that fire are your arms, your legs, whatever's going on. Yes. You're a little homunculus. I don't know if it's the homunculus, but but it he's doing it. They're doing it. Your brain yeah. is alive and and your the body's representation in the brain, right? Which is probably multifaceted and dispersed not just in the homunculus, but all of that is going off too. Your brain is more awake when you're asleep than it is when you're awake. I believe that. I read that too. I'm going to back up a little bit. Can't really observe other creatures' dreams directly. I mean, we've known since the 1950s that animals dream they they had enough you know it was pretty convincing that there was evidence that other mammals and birds do indeed dream mm -hmm. um and and that's what they talk about mammals and birds right yes so this is be part of that evidence was rapid eye movement which was discovered only discovered in 1953 mm. and that stage of sleep corresponds of course with a dream state that's kind of general knowledge your eyes move back and forth you can't move much but there's a lot of electric activity going on in your brain as soon as they identified it in humans they started studying it in animals and almost all mammals and birds have been studied this one article actually from earth and sky gave from dogs and cats to duck-billed platypuses yes what do duck-billed platypuses dream of? i have some answers to that oh, good good and even reptiles they seem to go into this stage and the the other stages of sleep are the same as ours. They go through the same stages of sleep. Yes. 
Now, what they did was, to, in order to prove that, say, a cat is actually dreaming, studies showed that cats, and this is out of the article, studies show that cats who were altered. Mm-hmm. I saw that. And I don't want to know how they did that or Mm-mm. what they did, but no. these cats were altered yep. to, to move. Yes, during REM sleep. And they ran around, they swatted their paws, they bit at imaginary objects. So if that evidence is correct, cats do dream. And we have some idea about what they dream about. And if I can, I'm going to try and post this video. Oh, cool. To our page. It is a kitten that is seemingly is having a nightmare. And its mother, the mother cat, seems to comfort it. Oh, yeah. Very cute. So in 2001, we get back to the studies of the the rats. Again, one of the reasons they're doing this is they want to know about memory. We want to be able to decode dreams. We want to be able to see what other people are dreaming. And so they can do that with rats to a large extent because of the, the maze. They've got the pattern. They've almost got the map of the brain, the electrical activity map of the brain while they're running through the maze. So if they're doing it in their dreams, the same map is repeated. Yeah. So again, they don't want to give credit to the animals, you know? What do you mean credit? Well, that that we are all from the same bucket. Of yeah. Blue. So we're <laughs> okay. all going to have the same brain functions, even insects, to a large well. extent. They lose permission to alter the the brain of the cat. That's if, the one thing. If they start to. Yeah, that. I think it was in this MIT article where they didn't want to say it's a language thing. They didn't want to use the word consciousness. Mm-hmm. Was this the 1950s? When, um, when was the study? No, this is the rat studies actually like 2000, 2000s. Okay. But they want to learn how to help with amnesia, Alzheimer's, the vice way for people to okay. learn and memorize more effectively. And the one, uh, this researcher Wilson at MIT says, it's been a century since Freud brought forward the study of the subconscious and the examination of the content of dreams as a tool for understanding nature of cognition and behaviors in humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we now have that means to bring this world of dreams into study of animal cognition. And by doing so, we gain a deeper insight into our own. Yeah, we always have to come back and justify it, <laughs> right. how it helps us. Exactly. So if fruit flies can learn, not only do they dream, why do they dream, and what do they dream about? We can, by looking at the dog dreaming, by looking at the cat dreaming, altered or not, which is just so wrong, we can guess what they're dreaming about. Well, yeah, I have some informed guesses to offer. Okay. Well, that's it. Yeah. Is why why would an animal, probably us included, dream about one experience and not another? Oh, I don't know if I can answer that. The work that been doing at MIT helps them evaluate the content of dreams. Again, this is the rats in the maze and create tests to see which awake patterns create patterns when the animal is asleep so that they can, again, see what the content of the dream is, if you think that that's possible. It also raises questions about really long-held assumptions about animals' thought processes. 
Yeah, I think the way I answer it is by um, working backwards, the the opposite way. If you know this, we're talking. They're studying fruit flies and all these other creatures to make inferences about human sleep and cognition, and I'm going to look at human sleep and cognition and make some inferences ah, I see. about animals. Well, Wilson at MIT points out that dreams are the ultimate offline experience and that the work that they're doing shows that animals are capable of reevaluating their experiences when they are not in the midst mm -hmm. of them. So the purpose for dreams, you know, why would a man, why would anything dream? Why would we dream? Is it memory? Is it learning? We wouldn't do it if it wasn't necessary to some point. A fruit fly wouldn't do it well, if it wasn't necessary for cognition. All right. The purpose of sleep? Don't you think? I, I, this might yeah. have been the the same thing that you read. I mean, we'll, I'll see your sources later, okay. but a scientist at MIT yes. speculates that the uh, non-REM sleep, which also has dreams, as I said, the brain is taking the oh. past and trying to figure out how that might relate to the future. Um, okay. Because they've they've studied people in the different phases and woken them up and said, what were you dreaming about? Right. Yeah. So that's the result of that study, uh, that kind of study is during during this phase, the brain takes things that it has learned in the past and tries to figure out how it relates to the future. In REM, you are actually trying to experience the future and apply the things that you learned. Okay. So you're taking experiences and trying to apply them the novel situations and exactly novel situations present themselves yes and then there's this other guy from the university of turku he says it's pretty certain that our ancestors did dream because dreaming seems to be biologically programmed into our brain and the brains of even fruit flies <laughs> so right. um and the ancestor our ancestors brains are pretty much identical with our brain and as we're finding out other animals brains are very similar to ours Right. And I have a, a little bit about avian brains if we get into that. Yeah. So, but our ancestors lived in an environment that was full of all sorts of dangers. So REM sleep tends to be more prone to nightmares. Mm. And there's something about serotonin levels and all that too. So this person whose name I can't pronounce, MTI Revonsuo, my apologies. Um, he says the purpose of uh, nightmares is to have us practice threatening events. It's like a simulation of danger. Okay. Uh, so we can rehearse how we would run away or hide. A recent development, there's a book out that anybody who knows me is sick of hearing me talk about, which is David Eagleman's Live Wired. Oh, you're reading it. Yeah. So there was an article. Ah, I'll, I'll put it up. Um, he and... Did I put their, his name in here? I did not. Anyway, Eagleman and another guy uh, recently published an article, in, which is a summary of his theory about why we dream. It's a completely different take on it. And uh, he argues that the, the brain is so plastic, uh, meaning it, it is constantly rewiring itself. And each neuron is in competition with the neurons near it for um, relevance, I guess, purpose. Right. Yes. So if um, you know, if you when you stop doing something, those uh, brain cells immediately begin to get uh, colonized by for other purposes. Right. They uh, atrophy. 
well, sometimes they atrophy, but uh, sometimes they start doing other work. Okay, right. For example, right. he talks about he introduces this whole thing by talking about uh, taking sighted people and blindfolding them and teaching them braille. Right. Compared to uh, teaching people braille who are not blindfolded, so you have sighted people who are oh, okay. mimicking blindness and sighted people who are not mimicking blindness, and both of them are learning braille. The people who are wearing blindfolds learn braille better, and the optical center of the brain starts to become used by tactile stimulation for the purpose of reading braille. As soon as they take the blindfold off, they lose the ability to read braille. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, and this starts happening within hours. So their theory is that the the, the theory of dreams is that uh, he, he says they're mostly visual. Uh, you and I were talking about this the other day and you're like, I hear things in my dreams. I feel things, yeah, and, you exactly. know, like it's a whole brain experience. <laughs> so it's not just the visual cortex exactly. that's at work here. But he says the brain is preserving the territory of visual, cor- the visual cortex by keeping it active at night. And I won't go into it all. He, uh, dream, the purpose of dreams, he says, is it's the strange love child of brain plasticity and the rotation of the planet. <laughs> if we didn't have 12 some hours of, right, you know, right. depending on where you are on the globe, um, yeah, uh, of darkness. Yes. They also studied all kinds of primates and other creatures, but uh, they also studied nocturnal animals. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Well, they sleep during the day. Yeah. And they, they see as well. Right. So yeah, he's, you know, but maybe the, the brain is preserving all of the neurons because I was saying, I, I feel things. I, you know, uh, my propriocentricity is, is at work too, you know? So I would think that if, if he's right, it's not just the neocortex that needs to be exercised. Right. Right. Well, that was it. I was listening to the audiobook and he was talking about that. And he's like, you know, the reason that you have these dreams, the purpose of the dreams is visual and it's to keep those neurons active so they don't lose, they don't lose the real estate. Yeah. But I'm, and I'm screaming in my car, I'm listening to the audiobook. I'm like, <laughs> no, that can't be right. Hearing stuff too. You don't need to preserve yeah. that. You hear stuff no. in your sleep. I mean, you're you're not hearing it, hearing it, but you there is a level of awareness that if there's a your mind's sound, ear hears it, right? Uh, your your mind's fingers feel things. Yes, and, and you're thinking. You're you're. Uh-huh. He doesn't even address that. He doesn't even go there because he knows it's a problem. Well, he's anyway. focused. Oh. <laughs> No, what I'm saying is maybe the maybe it maybe it's not a problem. Maybe the other neurons also need to be exercised. But we also obviously are learning, as yes. as you pointed out. Um, I did. I read that it was Patrick McNamara that I read that was talking about these studies of um, REM sleep on cats that they had altered oh, their brains. They they surgically disabled the part of the brain that paralyzes muscles during REM yes, sleep. That's what I figured. Yeah. And, and I'm sure we've all heard about people who have an REM sleep disorder. And so they pretty much have to be like in a straight jacket to sleep well, the, safely. That, um, Mike Berbiglia. Yes. He's a comedian. He sleeps in a thing with like, he zips I'm himself in a sleeping bag or something. <laughs> bag and he's got mittens on so he can't unzip the, zip, the zippers. 
Because he'll jump out a window and, you know, run down Nazis. He did jump out of a window. Yeah, he did. And, like, his girlfriend found him on top of, um, like, the refrigerator one time or something. Like, he had climbed up. He's going to hurt himself when he has hurt himself. Yeah. And other people. Or other people. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, to hear him talk about that's really frightening. Yes. Because there are, I'm, if you don't have that disorder, from time to time, you will move or talk kind of like the dog well, kicking the sleepwalking and sleep peeing and yeah. you know, sleep sex sleep eating climb yeah. on the yeah. <laughs> you know, an ambient let's let's not forget about oh, it. isn't it ambient yeah it's One ambient. Of those that, yep, yep. yeah that that disrupts that uh, because you're i i have long thought and maybe i read somewhere and i don't remember where this is before this that when you're falling asleep that feeling of falling yes that we all have where you, if you're suddenly i don't know if your brain tells the story in retrospect like there's a little lag or fast forward but there is a stage called the hypnogognic stage which is that stage where you're in between sleep and awake right so you your body is uh, quietly paralyzing itself so that you can you can prepare to dream safely and you will have the sensation of falling because it affects your vestibular system oh sure okay and yeah i read somewhere about the proximity to of the vestibular system to where is it i mostly focused on flying dreams which is oh why don't i talk about that is that all right yeah go for it all right yeah because i got uh (laughs) my starting point for this was uh, do birds dream about flying (laughs) um and is it just like ours i i have some theories about my own flying dreams which i are rather frequent and I'm not so much interested in what they mean. You know, some people are like, oh, it's about freedom. You need to escape something or it's a, it's an orgasm. You know, okay. Yeah, it's a right. symbol for an orgasm <laughs> or, you know, um, and then some people are like, oh no, you're astral projecting. <laughs> your flying. soul is leaving your body. You're actually flying. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, no, it's, it's my body's um, vestibular system adjusting to hmm dream paralysis um so it's related to the falling when you're right. falling asleep it, that sensation that you kicked um you tripped on the curb you know right. suddenly you're like oh i was just walking to the car and i tripped and i don't know if you dream if your brain tells you you were walking to your car uh, after you trip you, yeah you have the sensation of tripping. i don't any sense i don't know which comes first right because you tell stories to yourself after the fact. Yes, you do. You, you think they to come do things. Your brain, it's like, it's... It's deja vu. Right. Well, not even that. There's a, there are lags You will in do your brain. something. There are lags. Like your hand will automatically do something, whatever, reach yeah. for something. And then you tell, you, you, you tell yourself why you did that. That's what I'm saying. Yes. yes. So, uh, and... I you everybody's probably had the dream the dream where um, you have to pee and you're like oh I'm at a party and there are all these people around there must be a bathroom here but I can't make my way through this crowd and they're oh and now somebody's stopping and talking to me but I really have to go to the bathroom and then you get to the bathroom and there are like eight people in the bathroom <laughs> and, and you have you don't have privacy and then you finally you kick everybody out and the toilet's not functional and you're like I can't either and that's your dream telling you to hold it yes yeah yes i i think it's keeping you from wetting the bed i read a dissertation part of a dissertation (laughs) 
I never expected. It's called, um, this is dissertation on the dream problem. Oh. And uh, this guy, Lydiard Heneage Horton. <laughs> love these names. He says he has removed all doubt that flying dreams were of vasomotor origin. That's all I'm going to say. It gets very technical. He's injecting people with epinephrine and stuff. Anyway. Um, So the crucial part of a dreaming brain is in the pons. That's that's what I was looking Mm -hmm. for. The middle section of the brainstem. And near it is the collection of brain cells and neurons that help send you to sleep and wake you again. So um, the dreaming part of the brain is very close to the part of the brain that paralyzes you for safe sleep. Okay. And they receive it. That's where it receives signals from the inner ear, which is um, it tells you where your body is in space Mm -hmm. um, and it it affects your sense of balance, which may create the illusion uh, or the feeling of weightlessness or uh, disorientation. So you will, you're more likely in those moments to have a flying dream or a falling dream or a floating uh, levitation dream, right? And you also will have dreams in which you feel like you're paralyzed. You become aware of these dreams, I think, are incorporating sensations into the dream story. And and we've all had that happen where the alarm's going off, but in your dream, it's the symbols from the parade going by no it's your alarm clock and you're just translating yes. it as that. yes your your brain is working on synthesizing everything that it's experiencing i saw references in a couple places to temperature in flying dreams and, and falling dreams too that you, if you feel cold your brain will interpret that as uh, as movement and flight or oh. falling like the like speed against your skin right it interprets it as rapid movement through the air. But I also thought that dreaming of flying, I, I've thought about it a lot, actually. Like why? Because we don't fly. Right. So why would we dream that we fly? We do all the other things yeah, that you it's not think. a learning. It's not a memory, like trying to sort out which memories to keep. Right. 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 You weren't flying yesterday uh, on your own motor, you know, uh, locomotion. Right. So the two things that I came up with by thinking long and hard about my own dreams, one is swimming. Hmm. I can swim. I've been swimming since I was a very small child. My little sister learned to swim before she learned to talk. So these are like primordial memories for for me. This is just like walking and eating and everything else. Swimming is deeply encoded in my brain. And I noticed that I often am making motions in the air to propel myself that are the same motions I make when I'm swimming. Oh, okay. I may be, my brain may be incorporating the sense of weightlessness that I'm feeling from my vestibular system Mm -hmm. and saying, oh, well, you're, (laughs) you're flying. So there's that, but also the engine of flight seems to be in my torso. It's not really in my arms. I'm not pulling, you know, doing the breaststroke in the air. I'm, I, I try that and I try kicking to, to propel myself, especially if somebody's chasing me and I can't get altitude or you know, <laughs> they're just always so jealous that I'm able to fly. They try to catch me and keep me from doing my thing. But, um, I think it might be from being picked up when you were a little child. Okay. Because it feels like it's my rib cage. And that's when we lift a child, we pick them up from under the arms and launch them up. But that doesn't that's flying dreams. That's not the kind of flying dream a bird would have. I'm thinking like flying dreams for birds are going to be the same as our dreams of walking or driving a car, right? Just stuff you do in the daytime. 
I once got really interested in dreams and I started keeping a sleep diary. Okay. A dream journal, not a sleep yes. diary. A dream, they were very different things. It was a dream yes. journal. I would wake up and write down a, a dream that I remembered. And I started noticing that um, elements of my previous day had occurred in the dream. They were jumbled up. Right. So I would write them down too. So the more I wrote, the more I remembered, like the more detail of the dream right. and the more dreams I remembered. So yes. I got to the point where not only I would wake up and I would remember like four dreams in great detail mm -hmm. and I would write them all down and write down everything that had happened the day before that occurred in the dream as an explanation. Oh, wow. I did this for a very long time. And it started to take up too much time in each day and I had to give it up. But my conclusion from that very scientific study yes. was um, you're just dreaming about the shit that happened the day before. That's really, I mean, sometimes it was like old stuff and, and uh, whatever you're going through, like if you're having some strife in your life or worry, that's going to color the things in your dream. Sure. Yeah. And I said I was going to work backwards. Now that I've told you a little bit about what I learned about dreams. Yes. That that they're rehearsing the things that happened in the day in order to move them into long-term memory. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's part of learning. Um, and people who, people and animals who learn something, if they dream, they do it better the next day. And if you read before you go to sleep. They tell you that, yes. yes. And, if you study before you go to sleep. Right. Yes. And working problems out. Yes. And you can even tell yourself, maybe the fact that like, if you go to bed and you think, okay, I really want to think, you know, I want to dream about an answer to this problem, because there's a lot of free association and you can sure. have an aha moment, you often do. Although if I wake up and write down my aha, I wake up, <laughs> look, read it the next day and it's like, that's not an aha. My dreams are, are slow witted, <laughs> but you know, sometimes, sometimes it's a good idea, but usually I just feel like it was an aha. Right. I dreamed it was an aha. And it's not really. The thing is, are animals dreams just like ours? Are they also dreaming the stuff that they experienced in the daytime? Are their dreams colored by their moods? Are, are they also right. like, it, does a bird have flying dreams that are different from flying dreams? Like, does it have uh, two kinds of flying dreams because its vestibular system is disturbed? And so would it dream then that it was floating on the water or or buffeted by a storm? You know, would that be the right. equivalent of what, you know, or, or do they do they dream that they're doing human things like driving a car or playing Because <laughs> we, we dream we're flying. So <laughs> I don't know. But the safest bet is to look at their brains and see if they are like ours and right. then then they their dreams are like ours and recent studies have come out maybe you saw them that what we thought was stupid like bird brains are small right so we thought birds are stupid and we even have a slur for that you know you call somebody a bird brain to disparage them and say that they're stupid it turns out that bird brains are just small, probably because they have to be lightweight for ah. flight. Like their bones are hollow, right? Right. So um, what they have done, they're like microchips. Their brains are like microchips. They made everything smaller. Yes. So they are not, they don't have fewer neurons. In fact, they have no. more neurons. And they also, like, I think it was the neocortex. There was, a, there was a part of the brain that we're very proud of. We have a Yes, big, yes. But the brain, the birds did not have that. So they're like, oh, they don't have higher thought. They don't have a super ego or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. 
they do have a neocortex. It's just their brains are just arranged a little differently. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there's an article in Scientific American, which I'll put in our show notes, um, which you find on our website. So I put a link in in our description of the podcast, mm-hmm. but then yeah, that'll take you through to the show notes on our website, or you could just go straight to the website, thisanimallife.com. But anyway, the Scientific American article is called Bird Brains Are Far More Human-Like Than Once Thought, and the uh, research undercuts primate exceptionalism. This scientist, Herculano Hosel, his last name is Herculano Hosel, he says, uh, I hope people will be tempted to drop the notion that there is something very unique and exclusive about the human brain. So bird brains and cat brains and any other kind of anything with a, a collection of neurons. <laughs> yeah, likely. Yeah. Um, I read a bunch of articles about avian sleep. Uh, well, oh, wait, before I move on, the number of neurons in the brains of more than two dozen species of birds ranging in size from the tiny zebra finch mm-hmm. to the six foot tall emu found that they consistently have more neurons packed into their small brains than are stuffed into mammalian or even primate brains of the same mass. Wow. Parrot and songbird brains contain about twice as many neurons as primate brains, two to four times as many neurons as rodent brains. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the brains of parrots and crows have a much higher density of neurons than primate brains. And the proportion of neurons in the forebrain is significantly higher. That's not to say that they are smarter than us, but they are certainly smarter than we thought they were by far and more similar to us. So if they sleep, their dreams are going to probably be the flycatchers catching flies, (laughs) you know, Uh, the the uh, osprey is diving for fish and it may be uh, interacting with others. And I was just going to say, what if they're like grade school crush they haven't thought about in 20 <laughs> years walks by? You know, oh, and they're having little bird tree? sex. Yeah. They're, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. Like do animals dream about sex? Of course they do. Of course they do. They of course must. they do. They must. Yes. So that, I mean, we can't, like, like in the case with humans, we wake them up and we say, what were you dreaming about? And we find that they're just dreaming about getting a cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> a cup yeah. of coffee and suddenly it, it turned into a battery and yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're having that stuff, but it's just the stuff in their lives, you know? And the David Eagleman book, I don't know where you are in it, but uh, he talks about a neuron's a neuron, you know? They're the yeah. same all, all over the place and they can do all kinds of different jobs. If you took a bird brain and you put it in a human, it would start thinking human stuff and learning to use its fingers and because that's what <laughs> that's what it has now. Right. And if we if we got put into a bird, we would start learning how to use our wings. So one last thing about birds that is different is their EEG and uh, REM and all is the duration and types of sleep stages is a little different because their need for wakefulness is different. Okay. Their need to hold their heads up is different from ours. That kind of, you know, the differences were largely anatomical and lifestyle differences because they live in a nest, you know, and they don't want to fall out of the nest or, and also some of the birds, I mean, they they migrate and they, um, or they're pelagic, meaning that they spend weeks and weeks out at sea. And so they sleep in the sky. They sleep while flying and dolphins sleep while swimming. And, you know, that's the dolphins are basically one hemisphere's awake and the other one's going to sleep. 
So yes, do birds do the same thing? Yes. Ah, yes. Okay. They stole my thunder on that. What, what is this called? No, no, I'm teasing you. Uh, asymmetrical sleep, is it? Or uni, unihemispheric? How is that? I, yeah, I don't remember what it's called. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will put some of that information up too about the, the different kinds of sleep. But they still have REM and they have brains just almost just like ours, I guess. I got to qualify it. But they're much tinier. They're much tinier. They are, I just saw today, I didn't read it, but it was an article and it was, I forget where it is, but cockatoos mm-hmm. are teaching other cockatoos how to raid garbage bins. Nice. You know, I I, I just want to say how how excited and happy I am when we find out that they're just like us. I uh, something in me rejoices. I guess I'm a biophil. Yes. Um, you know, a lover of life. Um, I I love knowing that I'm not so alone. Yes. For some reason, like the birds at my bird feeder are are just like other people. <laughs> you know, um, but. Well, yeah, I guess I, I think of them as persons, as characters, yeah, I you know, do which is why I haven't been able to eat them for 30 right. some years, but because <laughs> I just can't. But I there's also a great deal of sorrow for me in these discoveries because of the yeah. way, you know, some of the stuff you were talking about before, like you, I, I can't, how did they altered the brain of the cat and you're like, let's just uh, close the yeah, curtain I here on, on that and and celebrate all those cool things we learned right. from torturing this cat yes. um it just breaks my heart and then I grew up with birds yeah we had parrots when I was growing up we had cockatoos because uh, we lived in West Africa and and they would catch them they would take them right out of nests yeah and, and catch well, them and wild that's how and, they yeah that's with parrots too that's specifically yeah. how they get parrots right yeah. So uh, we we brought them to the states with us. We had uh, we had three African greys that we when we moved back to the United States we had three greys. And when we lived in Jakarta we had a cockatoo. My mother loved that bird. She held cradled him in her arms. But the the greys were just in a cage, yeah. and they would pluck their feathers out mm-hmm. uh, on their chests and they would rock back and forth. And we thought they were stupid. Yeah. So I think I have a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. I know we know. And then I went on and I raised finches and I was much nicer to my finches than my family was to their parrots. Yes. Yeah. I learned a lot from them. Yes. And, uh, and they, they lived enriched lives flying loose in my house. <laughs> you know what I want? I want somebody you- to tell me that they had a gray parrot or a macaw or cockatoo and it talked in its sleep. That's what I want to know. I yes. want that story. Well, I can and, tell you that. Oh, do they do that? Yeah. Um, we would cover the cage at night. Uh-huh. And he would, our African gray's name was Curtis. <laughs> uh, you would hear Curtis talking to himself. Curtis learned, you know, as he, as he got older, he learned to say all kinds of things. Uh, and I have lots of stor- Curtis stories about the, <laughs> the uncanny things that he said. But yeah, he would mumble to himself. And sometimes that mumbling we took to be the sound of conversation in another room. Oh. 
yeah he would go right around <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> yeah yeah and you can in the case of an african gray they can imitate your voice too yes, so know. he said hello just like all each different household member and um that that little laugh that would be my mother uh, like talking on the phone <laughs> one time i was in a bathroom <laughs> i lived in this house that had a second story bathroom that you couldn't see out the window because there was a hemlock tree right outside the window like growing right up against the house so it was really dark in there and I was in the bathroom and I heard what sounded like Curtis now this is years and years later I'm okay. a grown-up right and I'm alone in the bathroom and I hear Curtis going and it was all kinds of sounds and I you didn't need a curtain there right because you couldn't see out right. at all. Nobody could see in. Uh, but I think I had a curtain anyway, because, you know, yeah, we're, I was raised Presbyterian. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I opened the curtain and I looked out and there was a blue jay. Oh, sleeping. Oh, on a branch right outside my window. And that blue jay and was making so many different sounds. Wow. Like I thought they just went, Jay, Jay. <laughs> But this bird had a repertoire of syllables. Wow. And it was sound asleep. That's wonderful. See, that's, we are all from the same goo. Gaia man, yeah. we're all connected. <laughs> I would love for someone to tell us bird dreams. Yes. Or, you know, any animal dream, actually. Oh, oh, <laughs> when we were talking, oh, I can't, we, we have an episode about octopuses that we... Yes, I don't know we'll what we're talking about. Share it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before this. What are we? Before this. It'll be before this be one. Before. Okay. Okay. So. Yes. So you can refer to as it. As we said. Yes. Actually, I don't think we said this in the octopus episode, but um, octopuses dream in colors and right. their colors shift on their bodies. Yes. I mean, they don't dream in colors. What am I saying? I'm saying <laughs> their bodies that... reproduce the colors that they would use when they were scared. Or so that is paralyzed by their pawn what is whatever that yeah well portion of the brain they're physically paralyzed right but that that effect right is not right because that, that's not muscular no no and that would be neuronal brain yeah <laughs> yeah i wanted to play a clip from the nature episode octopus making contact it's season 38 episode one where David Scheel is describing Heidi the octopus, who he has living in his home and he's studying. And last night, I witnessed something I've never seen recorded before. You know, if she is dreaming, this is a dramatic moment. You could almost just narrate the body changes and narrate the dream. So here's, she's asleep. She sees a crab and her color starts to change a little bit. Then she turns all dark. Octopuses will do that when they leave the bottom. This is a camouflage, like she's just 
subdued a crab and now she's um, going to sit there and eat it and she doesn't want anyone to notice her. It's a very unusual behavior to see the color come and go on her mantle like that. I mean, just to be able to see all the different color patterns just flashing one after another. You don't usually see that when an animal's sleeping. This really is fascinating. But yeah, if she's dreaming, that's the dream. <laughs> this clip is from YouTube and well worth watching. It's really beautiful. And when you knew we were going to do this episode, did you tell yourself to dream things? <laughs> no, I used to do that as a child. Oh, you um, yes, my mother taught me to do it. She said, because I had such vivid, gruesome nightmares. Oh, so. so she would say, think about, start daydreaming about what you want to dream about. So I had many romps with Pegasus. I had an uh, elephant that hung out in my backyard. So it worked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd slip, I'd slip from that daydream and it would, it would hold over and continue into my dreams. I saw studies or references to studies in the studies I was yes. reading about a relationship between uh, REM sleep and nightmares and depression. Mm. That the more, I, I'm not going to be able to encapsulate, but there was something about serotonin levels yes. that make you have a nightmare. And as I said before, there was, huh. it's posited that, yes. um, that there's a purpose to the nightmare, which is to protect you because you rehearse, I guess, that's why we like true crime, you know, yeah. um, that you, you rehearse scary situations so that you're better able to defend yourself yes. or save yourself, whatever, from falling off the cliff. But that, I don't know if it was a chicken and the egg thing, like is, is just, is there an REM sleep disorder that causes depression because it rehearses those Ooh. neural connections that um, are anxious and depressed um, hmm. and morose or whatever, or are you, are you contributing to your own frequency of nightmares and extremity of nightmares by your depression? I don't know which causes which, but there's a correlation. Well, there is the theory and therapy of, you know, say you have anxiety and the more you think and play situations, say you have social anxiety, mm -hmm. the more you think about a social situation and play it out in your head, you become desensitized. Yes. And, you know, fear of snakes, you got to handle snakes, you know, you put yourself in that, that situation. Uh, so are your brain, is your brain CBT. doing that? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes, yes, and that's that's yes. what that is, right? That's you exactly can retrain your is. neurons. You're retraining your neurons. Are the dreams then processing those depressive episodes? Yes, and making them worse. Like you are learning to be depressed. Well, you're learning how to not let that be increase. Happy. No, increase your depression. Oh. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. And that's what I meant by working through the situations. Yeah. I'll see. Let me make a note here. I'll put that in the show notes if I can find what that study was. Yes. I'd like to read that actually, because that makes really good sense. Given my nightmares and history. And since I am on depression medicine, I don't have nightmares. Oh. So that's interesting. 
Yeah. That is interesting. You know, I, I feel sorry for people who don't have flying dreams. Uh, I'm always happy when I do. And I did see that there's a correlation between, I mean, not all flying dreams are happy. Right. And I've had scary ones, but there is also a feeling of euphoria that often accompanies yes. them. Yes. There's been certain dreams that I can still remember snippets of because of the euphoric just wave that overtook me during them. So it's not... That's related to the vestibular system and the hormones that are happening then. That's very cool. You know, we talk about dreams as learning, you know, so yeah, birds are going to be cracking nuts or digging things up or remembering it through their dreams, where they put all their seeds, where they hid them. By the way, you need to go listen to your hen house at night. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yes, I do. See if they're talking to themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Well, they do. They murmur. There is quiet murmuring. Okay. Yeah. If you go out there, yeah, they do. They kind of coo. And I just assumed that was nighttime noise. I never really thought about it. That like they're telling each other a little yeah. bedtime story, singing a lullaby. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. To, oh, I'll have to do that tonight. Cool. Yeah, I'll record it. Yes, <laughs> please. Yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> but I just don't think it's just cracking nuts and learning, remembering your map of seeds. I think it's a lot more emotional than that. I'm sure. I have and no random. doubt it's just like ours. And mm-hmm. fantasy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, which means that when they get up in the morning, they're having to cope with what the fuck just happened <laughs> to me, <laughs> just like we are. And they're probably boring each other. You know, I just, I, I, boy, I, I have to, when, when somebody oh, tells absolutely. me the dream, I'm just like, oh, for, <laughs> all right, I'll listen to your dream. You know? Imagine ravens. Yeah. Well, I'm going to write a poem about what platypuses dream about. Oh, yeah. You know what they dream about? Their little poison feet. Yeah. Laying an egg. (laughs) Laying an egg. (laughs) And it hatches and it's a lizard. And they're like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Do birds do that? Like, yes. Oh, my God. The eggs hatch and they're snakes. Yes. Yes. They They must. must. Of course they do. They must. It's all random, just like ours. I have no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And and then they're boring each other. They're sitting up there on the wire together over the traffic. And one of them's going, you know, I dreamed last night that I fell off this wire down into those cars down there. And it became a river. And and they were all alligators, not cars. (sighs) They're like, oh, Reggie's telling me another dream. We don't really mean we don't want to know your dreams. So email us. Tell us your animal dreams. Check out our website at www.thisanimallife.com. Join our Facebook page. Or email us, thisanimallife at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And while you're here, go ahead and subscribe. Give us five stars. Write a review. It would increase our visibility on these platforms so more people can join us in exploring this animal life. Our music is by incredible composer and performer Chip Salerno. Find more of Chip's music on SoundCloud.com. Hey, 